Hello everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night, a Game of Thrones show in conjunction with our friends at the Narth subreddit. My name is Rob and I have seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. My name is Lizzie and I'm watching every single episode of Game of Thrones for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Longest Night GOT, that is at Longest Night GOT. If you want to come and chat with us away from our episodes or drop us a line. Uh, Lizzie, how are we doing? How are we doing today? Yeah, yeah, good. Was it was it last week I got my second vaccine? It was last I week, yes. Can't even remember. Yeah, um, I can report. Didn't really have that much in the way of side effects. A little bit achy. Oh, good. But yeah, pretty good. And I think that's um, uh, consistent with what people are saying about the second AstraZeneca shot, which is that it's less severe than the first in terms of experiencing side effects. Yeah, and I've kind of heard it the other way around for the Pfizer. But yeah, so have well, I. <laughs> Yeah, here we are. Um, it's all good. Um, also went to the pub last weekend, so feels like we're sort of getting back to some sort of normality. Other hobbies than doing this podcast? Are you joking? I know. Yeah. I know. Actually leaving the house. <laughs> Imagine. Awesome. Right, okay. Speaking of leaving things, we'll leave the intro and we'll get into the main thrust of the episode. <laughs> This week, we are going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones, entitled Kissed by Fire, and it was written by Brian Cogman, directed by Alex Graves, and it was first broadcast on the 28th of April, 2013, to an audience of, get ready for this, Lizzie, 5.35 million people, an absolutely ginormous jump on the previous record uh, of, uh, I think it was uh, last week, so a huge jump up, Uh, not really sure what caused it, but people are getting interested in the show now uh yeah definitely lizzie where are we on kissed by fire what what, what, what are your thoughts on it yeah it's a good episode it's um a bit of a shock when you consider last week because it's very heavy on conversation and sort of character development world building even that i don't know maybe they felt they had to rein in the action a little bit after last week's episode yeah that is something that i think you might find with game of thrones as we go along where like big action well i think you guess you kind of seen it already with um like blackwater is kind of followed by you know picking up the pieces um from blackwater and as the show goes on action-packed episodes are normally especially if they come slightly earlier in the season are normally followed by a bit of a come down because then it's more mm. about the pacing of the season as opposed to just pacing of individual episodes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, do you have any particular favourite moments from this week? Uh, there's a lot of really good moments into it. I think we'll obviously come to them when we reach the uh, particular places. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I think one particular character kind of shone for me this week, whereas they had never done before. So Okay, yeah. all right Interesting then. to talk about that. Um, before we begin properly, um, mm. I did just want to ask, um, we've got some questions for you from Twitter. Oh, no. <laughs> nothing major, nothing major. Okay. Uh, but it's just from uh, We Love Game of Thrones, which is a lovely website that we do some help with sometimes. Uh, we'll leave a link in the show notes to our discussion about Game of Thrones that we had this week. Um, mm-hmm. And they ask, um, do you ever feel like the week long wait for an episode is too much and sometimes do you want to dive right in and be binge watchy <laughs> yeah i definitely did this week i very oh, okay. nearly i very nearly dove into this one you know as soon as i'd watched um the last one mm-hmm. but i think i can usually try and space it out because i know that often if i watch you know if i watch a, a serial tv show um usually it has my full attention for like the first hour and then it starts to wane a little bit yeah have you ever noticed this when you watch you watch too much of something in one go and it's kind of like it's like eating too much food in one go it's great at first but then you kind of think "Mm, maybe i shouldn't have done that no no i completely understand um yeah i totally agree that's why i limit myself to watching one episode of particular shows every week um i'm currently watching lost for the first time as i've mentioned on previous episodes oh wow okay and i am spacing them out week by week because i make sort of bi-monthly or tri-monthly appearances on a podcast that a friend of mine runs called Flashback, where they re- they're re they re-watch- they're both re-watching Lost 
and talking mm. about every episode in a similar format to us. And at the end of every season, I appear on the show, as I did last week. I will leave a link to uh-huh. their episode in the show notes. And I experience, I should tell them my experience of watching it for the very first time. And I am deliberately imposing a week limit on myself so that I don't start binge watching and get ahead of their schedule. <laughs> and it, I think it really works. I like the, I like creating the illusion of what it must have been like to have to wait a week after a particular episode. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a feeling that's mostly gone away you know with the age of netflix but it's it's still there i think like one division recently was a weekly episode thing and the mandalorian too yeah 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 so it's not entirely gone as a concept i Mm. think it's a yeah i think it's a good thing to have and the second question uh when it comes to this episode kiss by fire Mm. now they've asked who has the better arse out of Jamie or John? But there's a third arse on display in this episode that they've not mentioned, which is Olivar, the man who is in the scene with Loris. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so who wins? <laughs> oh, God, you're killing me. I mean, I'm, o- I'm obviously going to favour Jamie because he's Jamie. <laughs> okay. He's, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit I have a huge crush on Jamie, but I also have a bit of a crush on the hound, so I don't know what that says about me. It says that you don't have a specific type of man. I will put it that <laughs> no. way. <laughs> uh, right, I'm awesome. Easy. Let's yeah. uh, let's get into it proper. <laughs> I'm the finest man I've ever known. Silly's I've broken a sacred vow. I've sinned. No. I have wronged you. I have shamed you. You're doing God's work. I don't understand. We're going to go to Dragonstone first. And for the first time since he returned from Blackwater Bay and losing the battle in King's Landing, Stannis meets with his wife, Selyse. And she encourages him to continue pursuing his uh, romantic affections for Melisandre. And she says that any act in service of the Lord of Light can never be considered a sin. Um, and then Stannis goes and visits his daughter, Shireen, and tells her that Davos is a traitor who should be left in the dungeons as a punishment. But Shireen just ignores him and goes and visits Davos in the dungeons anyway, and she begins teaching him how to read. So, a couple of things to note from Dragonstone. We've got a new mm. character in Shireen. We yep. have... A, a, she technically counts as a new character, Selyse. She was in the background of Stannis' very first scene in the show, played by a different actress. Ah, I see. So she's not a new character, but she may as well be. This is her first speaking line. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, Stannis has a daughter. And that Mm -hmm. daughter is a great exposition bomb for, like, the history of the Targaryens at Dragonstone. Well, yeah. Yeah. Not only does... Is it, oh my god, Stannis has a daughter? Oh my god, Stannis has a wife. Like, where have you been hiding this? Yeah. Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts about Dragonstone then? It's it's really sad, isn't it? It's mm. one of the saddest things I've seen in this show, actually. Just everything at Dragonstone this week is relentlessly bleak. You know, you've got Queen Salis and she's got the, the little... Um, you know, the unborn babies in the jars, like fucking hell. And then Princess Shireen herself, who, when we first meet her, it's like she's in a dungeon. I mean, is she is she locked up there? Is she, <laughs> you know? I think it's just a miserable bedroom, uh, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I think that Stannis is probably, an he's from an era of men, especially in Westeros, mm. where it's like, I'm doing kingly duties and I'm miserable and I don't want to see my wife and my wife cannot leave her chambers. And yeah, but it's just such, like you say, it is very sad that this, that Selyse has kind of had, I mean, fair enough, you know, it's her choice and she wants Melisandre to, her and Stannis to kind of continue whatever weird affair they've got going on. But it Mm. is sad, I think, that she's kind of surrendered her agency a little bit to the Lord of Light and she's happy for Stannis to carry on sort of because she feels like she deserves it because all she brings him in terms of having a son is just death 
and yeah, having corpses yeah. in tubes and things like that. And yeah, it's, I think that it is, like you say, it's very, very sad. But then we do get that lovely little scene towards the end with um, Shireen and Davos in the dungeons. And we find out that Davos can't read, mm. um, first of all. But I guess the other thing is that Shireen is going to teach him and she's going to give him patience and time and even though we've never seen them on screen together before i think you can tell that they've definitely i mean we've never been privy to them but they've shared a room together and they've talked and they have a relationship just yeah if any, davos being like, stannis like i kind of gathered from this that she might actually have more of a connection with davos than stannis because if if he's away doing as you put it kingly duties there's a good chance that she might never see him that he's always away attending to some business, whereas, you know, Davos, possibly, possibly, we don't know, he could have been there more than Stannis was. Exactly. I think she was you, growing um, up. you get that in the chemistry between Shireen and Stannis and then Shireen and Davos, where the chemistry between Shireen and Stannis is terrible, obviously deliberately so, but the way that mm. he doesn't really quite know how to talk to a daughter, he's just kind of pulling all these funny expressions that indicate that he doesn't, really know what to do in that kind of situation which is why he avoids her and this is why Stannis has been in the show for 15 episodes now in total Mm. and we've never met Shireen before no no she's just this miserable child who has to pass the time reading books and singing to herself she has nothing else to do it's like it's cordial but not warm it's exactly that it's kind of tense if anything yeah no it really uh, it really is by the way, um, I wanted to ask, you know, um, I think it's the left side of her face. She's got like um, something on her skin. Is that explained at any point? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's not really, actually. It's not really a spoiler. Um, it's this disease called, uh, the, it gets explained in the show, but it's this disease in the show. It's called grayscale. Okay. And right. if you become infected with grayscale, your skin basically turns to stone. Oh, God. Very slowly. Okay. Um, it's incurable, but she's mm. the only person who's ever been cured of it. And she's the only right. person that's been able to have it stopped. And nobody really knows how. And it's never really mm. explained as to how. There's, it's kind of like a mini mystery in the show. It's not spoilery or that important, but it's just a, it's just a thing. <laughs> well, I guess my theory from that is because... You know, the Lord of Light is mentioned at Dragonstone this week. It's also mentioned at the Riverlands. And we get an intriguing little um, quirk of the Lord of Light in those scenes. So I wonder... <laughs> Just a maybe, little one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe. If, I guess if it's never explained, we'll never know. Nudo. <laughs> All unsolid boys are given new names when they are cut. Grey Worm, Red Flea, Black Rat. Names that remind them what they are. Vermin. While Daenerys and her new army marches towards the next city, uh, Sajora and Sabariston are once again bickering about their histories and their loyalties. <laughs> uh, but they do both agree that Daenerys is the queen that they want to follow. And afterwards, the leader of the Unsullied, who is Grey Worm, uh, referred to in this episode in High Valyrian as uh, Togonudo, uh, introduces himself to Daenerys and says that he wishes to keep his name, Grey Worm, mm. because it's the one that he had when Daenerys freed him from slavery. And that's sort of it, yeah. really. That's that's all. It's a, quite a short scene, but there's a lot of content in it. A uh, little reference at the start of this scene to Thoros of Mir and his backstory with it running with that flaming sword of his. Um, yeah. We get another new character, which is Grey Worm. Mm. Uh, they decide to keep their uh, slave names. And again, Sebastian and Sejora, they just, they just don't seem to get on for some reason. No one really knows why, but there's a bit of tension between them. Uh, I think they both have different ideas about what they want for Daenerys. But... Um, what what have you got about what what have you got for Slavers Bay? Yeah, I mean it seems like they don't get on, but like you said, they at least agree that Daenerys is the rightful leader and that she is the best person for the Iron Throne, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, before that, you mentioned the, the Thoros and Mir mention, and I really like that as much as it's such a small part of this scene. It's one of those reminders that as much as this world is huge and it spreads across hundreds of thousands of miles, that of course these two people know each other, you know. Of course they've had experience and they've crossed paths, even though they've wildly diverged along the way. Yeah, and it's... Like you say, the world is big, but it kind of makes it feel real that there's a history that's spoken about and spoken of. And something happened before all the cameras turned up. And it just, yeah, it makes it feel very, very lived in that it can reference something that we've not even seen. (laughs) Yeah. And so there was a time that, you know, Jorah was at King's Landing and Thoros was at King's Landing and... It's not just like they've been formed in a bubble and they've come out of nowhere. They have this storied history, but they've just taken completely different paths and ended up on, you know, different roads in different circumstances, like the real world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to ask um, mm. your opinion about uh, Grey Worm, first of all, as a character, and then um, sort of like getting to keep his, wanting to keep his name. Like, what what do you make of that? Yeah, it's it's great logic. You can't really poke any holes in it. No. Nope. Because, yeah, as much, I think in Daenerys' mind, we've sort of discussed this before, but it's like this thought that she has that she's, you know, freeing them and liberating them. And, and really, it's often not as simple as that. No, these people have their... I think it's a lesson that she's learned, really, which is that the Unsullied, as much as they are an army who have a leader mm. and stuff... And as much as they have had a lot of their personalities kind of chipped away from them over a period of time, they still have wants and needs and Daenerys can't see them as a mass. She kind of has yeah. to see them as people. And obviously that's difficult with the TV show because you kind of, this is something that they've kind of done already where you have one or two characters representing the Dothraki. And then you have one or two characters representing the Unsullied, and it's kind of like they are the Unsullied, and they speak for the Unsullied and stuff like that. And it's something that you have to do just with the economics of television. But I like that the show makes this effort that they're not just kind of faceless drone soldiers, and no, they no. give you a perspective, and that they they may all think as some kind of hive mind, but at least they all kind of have their thoughts independent of their nature as slaves, you know, that they have wants and needs as people and it makes you look a bit beyond their status and look at the people underneath. Yeah, and they will they will happily treat Daenerys as the leader she is, but they won't treat her as a saviour because mm. she isn't really that. She is just another leader. I thought he killed you. He did. But how... Thoros? How many times have you brought me back? It's the Lord of Light brings you back. I'm just the lucky drunk who says the words. How many times? Five, I think. No, this makes six. Six? There was the first time. The mountain. Show her. The Hound and Beric Dondarrion fight in their trial by combat, and after trading blows, the Hound successfully defeats Beric and kills him, thus emerging victorious and therefore innocent in the eyes of the gods. Uh... While Arya is angrily responding to the fact that the Hound won the trial by combat and while Gendry's trying to hold Arya back, um, Thoros runs over to Beric's dead body and starts reading an incantation and speaking aloud. And somehow, Thoros brings Beric back to life uh, for the Mm -hmm. sixth time, as we later find out. And later on, Gendry tells Arya that he's going to stay on with the Brotherhood as a smith and Aya is informed that she will be traded to her brother Rob in exchange for some gold. So, yeah, first big question I have to ask you is, um, how do you feel about there being resurrection? This really confused me the first time I saw it. Okay. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, but yeah, you see the the sword kind of shoved into his shoulder, and you think, oh, okay, he's, he's bled to death, that's it. And then, just like that, he's kind of sat up and talking to Arya, it's like, wait, what? I thought he was dead. (laughs) But yeah, this is what I was sort of alluding to before in that we know that the Lord of Light 
in theory can revive people from the dead, so maybe can cure incurable illnesses as well? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot we don't know about the Lord of Light. I mean, as it is explained, the Lord of Light can't bring back someone who's not got a head anymore. Hmm, yeah. But, yeah, so resurrection is a thing in the show. Um, yeah. I feel like we've entered a new era of the show with this episode because you get flaming swords... Mm. And there's resurrections, and it feels like we've entered now. Magic is just like a part of the show. Yeah. And it's. I think it's handling it a lot better than it handled it at the start of last season. I feel like it's. It knows how realistic it wants to be about the magic in the show now, and how it depicts certain things that you might find a bit silly and fantastical for a show that likes to be as realist as Game of Thrones does. Realist mm. in, obviously, in inverted commas. Um, but I think it handles it really well. Um, I love the fact that this episode just jumps straight in with a sword fight. Um, yeah. And I think that after that, you will, I just want to say you were right last week. Gendry's going to join the Brotherhood as a as a smith. Indeed. That was yeah. his plan, and you were, you were dead right with that. Um, I mean, I don't think that was like some you know, Nostradamus-esque suggestion. I think it was kind of, the writing was very much on the wall and they were sort of pointing at it like, yes, this is going to happen in a couple of episodes' time. You watch. But, yeah, I can't say I'm really surprised, but, um, yeah, that's that scene where Gendry kind of points out that they were never really equals from the start. It's, it's yeah, it's sad, but it's sweet. You know, it's like, you wouldn't be my family, you'd be milady. Mm-hmm. You are a highborn, and yeah, there's you're you are what you're born into. You can't change that. How do you feel about the potential of them parting ways? Because if Gendry stays with the Brotherhood and Arya gets traded off to Rob uh, at River Run, that might mean that they don't really see each other. Are you how are you feeling about that? Because they've Gendry and I have been together since the end of season one. It's a big if, though, isn't it? It's one of those. Her being traded to Rob sounds very convenient. It sounds a bit too good to be true, almost. But this is from, like, an audience point of view, not just, you know, from... Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me, but it would be it would be sad because, again, it's, it's much... As much as he's not been killed or anything, it's Arya losing another male role model in her life that she's she's had so many taken away from her up to this point hmm. or just role models in general if you count um you know if you count a direwolf yeah yeah who again also didn't die but had to be sent away <laughs> yeah yeah okay so hmm. so all of these things being sort of taken away from her and it's it's yet another thing hmm. and also you have to think if if not the Brotherhood and if not Rob even, then where does she go from there? Mm. Um, yeah. I did also want to mention as well that it's very interesting to hear somebody talk after death about being killed. Yeah, that's really weird. That I love that in the with the Beric scenes where he's kind of talking very frankly about oh I was stabbed, oh I was killed, oh this happened to me, and I'm now I'm just back and I'm speaking from. Coming back from beyond, I'm just, I've seen the blackness and now I'm here. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Russian Doll, it's like he just keeps dying and waking up in the same place <laughs> again. Slightly different every time. <laughs> yeah, um, also another note I had, um, I'm starting to think that trial by combat isn't a particularly effective means of trying somebody. That's two swings mm. and two misses in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's weird, weird to think that you've got this world where resurrection is a thing, but you're still trying people by sword fight. Well, as you say, we don't fully understand the Lord of Light. No, no. And he gets he to decide this... who comes back and who doesn't. Yeah, he moves in mysterious ways. There are 19 castles guarding the wall. How many are manned? Three. You sure of that? Which three? Castle Black. Aye, Castle Black. Everyone knows Castle Black. Which others? John at first is lying to Oral and Tormund, claiming that a thousand men 
are guarding Castle Black, uh, but then Egret steals his sword and runs into a nearby cave. And once they're there, she seduces him and John breaks his vow to the Night's Watch, cementing in Egret's eyes uh, his commitment to the wildlings. And that's that's the scene. Um, I thought it was quite funny that John was running after Egret again. Uh, we're just about a season on from her being able to escape from him yeah. and then going, Seven hells! Seven hells! Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Um, I think this is a really pure and romantic scene. I think, like you were saying, there aren't many scenes in Game of Thrones where there is just pure affection on display without anything kind of undercutting it or making it dark. But yeah, this yeah. felt quite pure. Yeah, I, I wrote down. I thought their scenes this week were gorgeous. Mm. Something we'd not really had in this show up to this point. We've had it a couple of times, but not. it's, it's not often, is it? No, exactly, and I think that's why this is such a rare and special moment, and mm. I'm definitely with Egret when she says that they should stay in the cave and never go back to the real world and just live in their fantasy cave, never needing to eat ever again. They can just stay in that hot spring or whatever it is, and they could just be happy together. And Yeah, they're just so so madly in love that nothing else really matters. Yeah, and they can just be young and hot together. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think it's a lovely scene. I think there's a funny comedy beat where she says she goes to say, you know, nothing, Jon Snow, and then he cuts her off. Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, yeah. 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 But no, I think that um, it's a... I mean, this is a big fan favourite episode, to be honest, but I think this is one of the big fan favourite scenes in it. Um, mm. I think it's just, yeah, it's just really, like you say, it's really innocent, and I think it's really special. And I kind of like the fact that John is significantly less experienced than she is, and like she is given. It's it's strange, really, where because I think we yeah, associate. Yeah, he holds his own. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think also though that we we associate um, female nudity on this show with the writers kind of maybe misjudging things, but I think that in this mm. scene it, it does work because she has a lot of agency in this scene, and she kind of uses it as a. A method to kind of tempt John and to, well, to seduce him and to, to sort of allow him to unlock a part of himself that he wants to unlock, but has been afraid of because of the vows that hold him. And now he's broken one of those Night's Watch vows, and it cements his, in her eyes anyway, it cements his commitment to being part of the Wildling cause instead. He's no longer, in her eyes, he is no longer a crow. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't, like, uh, going back to the nudity, it doesn't feel gratuitous at all. It is this moment of just intense passion. And, you know, we see John from the back as well. But mm. it's, yeah, it it makes sense in this context. And also, I did note as well that, yeah, it does seem like the definitive breaking off point between John and the, the Night's Watch. Whereas mm. before, it seemed like he was very much an outsider who was sticking with the wildlings for protection but yeah he he breaks his oath here it does feel like a point of no return you're still fertile you need to marry again and breed i am queen regent not some brood man. you're my daughter you will do as i command and you will marry loras tyrell and put an end to the disgusting rumors about you once and for all father don't make me do it again please not another word my children. Uh, Cersei visits Littlefinger and asks that he assist her in removing the Tyrells from King's Landing. Uh, Loris's squire and uh, new lover, Olivar, reports to Littlefinger that the Tyrells are planning to marry Loris to Sansa. And knowing that she is to be wed to Loris, Sansa decides to stay in King's Landing until their wedding instead of going to uh, the Vale with Littlefinger. But all of the above plans are scuppered when Tywin Lannister finds out and he subsequently orders Tyrion to marry Sansa. And then when Cersei's having a little chuckle about that, she is then ordered to marry Loras and that smile just gets smacked off her face mm -hmm. and she's back to grinding her teeth again like she was in the first episode. So, wow, a um, lot of stuff in King's Landing this week, including a scene that I... Uh, didn't put in the overall description where Lady Olenna pays a brief visit to Tyrion to talk about the finances for the wedding. And there is yeah. a great anecdote from that where Brian Cogman, who wrote this episode, um, 
he said, of course the first scene I write for Diana Rigg is one with a joke about bowel movements in it. And he said, I was yeah. kind of traumatized that I would have to give this to her and have her play it. But she, he just said that like she was amazing in this scene and there's loads of other funny ones like where did you go for those figs did you go to volantis um she calls cheering a browbeaten bookkeeper Mm. um all sorts of insults flying around proper scene stealer stuff um yeah lady olena's brilliant i find her i just find diana rig amazing i think she's just been an amazing inclusion to this show yeah i would like to talk about this before we get into the love septagon yep that classic device um mm. it's I, I made a note of this i don't know why it's pure coincidence but we're recording this on the week of the 10th anniversary of the royal wedding between prince william and kate middleton oh jesus are we yeah huh. and it, it it did kind of raise a chuckle out of me to hear lady alina talking about the people needing distractions lest they create their own mm-hmm. it's like yeah we had riots that year didn't we yeah yeah a couple of months later yeah, it didn't work for long. <laughs> no, um, but, but no, that's true. And I think, you know, you're getting into the way that it reminds you that as much as we're invested in these characters, they are still the leaders and they are still the rulers and they still have to manage and manipulate the commoners yeah, in certain yeah. ways. So, yeah, we'll get into this uh, love septagon. <laughs> Is it, uh, yeah, um, what do you make of all these all these scenes today. I think the first thing we've got to bring up is that they're trying to redress the balance a little bit with the uh, male and female nudity. Um, yeah. You get yeah. a pretty pretty prominent uh, full frontal male nudity scene in uh, in the, in this episode. Yeah, which we've not really had since since Renly was here, right? Uh, Might have been one after that. It, it Maybe in season one where there's a moment with Theon in season one with Roz, but God, it shows how long ago that was. But, um, oh, sorry. Um, no, I mean like male on male as well. Um, of course, yes. Yeah, I think since then, possibly Rob and Talisa, maybe. But, but yeah. Anyway, I, I digress. It's um, yeah. I mean, where where do you want to start with this? Yeah, a lot of stuff happens in King's Landing this week. Um, I think that. Well, I think um, maybe we should start with. What do you think of the prospect of Tyrion marrying Sansa? Um, I think just before this, actually, like way, way before this, I, I noticed it was funny that Cersei should mention having asked Baelish to find Arya Stark, since he technically did, but was either blissfully unaware of it or he chose to ignore it to serve his own end. <laughs> That's the lovely question, Mark. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. Um, but yeah, uh, Tyrion and Sansa, oh god, no, no, don't like it. And as Tyrion points out, yeah, he was due to be, due to be wed to Shay, and, you know, it could, it could be as simple as that, but what Tywin says goes. What Tywin says goes indeed, um, and then Cersei is getting all chuckly, and he's like, ah, you've got to marry Sansa, and then, mm. I love the brotherly, brother-sister stuff in this I just love the how even though they've all come obviously in real life they've all come from different backgrounds different families different countries mm. you know all all three of them were born in different different countries because um, uh, uh, Lena Headey was I think she was born in like Trinidad and Tobago or Bermuda or something all right um, okay. which is amazing but um, but they can all be very convincingly a family yeah a I brother agree. and sister who tease each other and call each other names and make fun of each other. And then just when Cersei thinks that she's got the, ah, ah, you've got to do this, she gets told that she gets smacked down and says, no, you're going to marry Loras. She goes, no, don't make me do it. Please don't make me do it. Please, no. And it's... Well, she she says, don't make me do it again. Yeah, with uh, Robert. Yeah, yeah, she's known that, that pain once. And yeah, I'm... I'm looking forward to this because it means that Cersei and Tyrion have to work together. They're on a kind of equal footing for once. Hmm. Yeah. Which is just underneath Tywin Lannister's foot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some amazing stuff in King's Landing this week. I think it gets a little bit complicated, but I think, you know... I mean, you watch these episodes twice, right? 
I did, and I still, um, I still find this a little bit tricky to follow at times. But, it's, but I, I do understand it on a base level of that. It's this tangled web of um, he wants her, but she wants him, but he wants her, but they don't want to be together, but they're forced to be together, and. Yeah, it's a lot, but I think we're familiar enough with these people to actually keep up with it. It's not like they're all new characters and they're all banding in at once. And it's like, right, did you keep up with that? <laughs> you know, it's... um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops, but I don't think this is going to get better before it gets worse. Should I call him the king who lost the north? Escort Lord Karstark to the dungeon. Hang the rest. Mercy, sire! I didn't kill anyone! I only watched for the guards! This one was only the Watcher. Hang him last so he can watch the others die. Please! Please, Lord! They made me do it! They made me! They made me! Martin and Willem Lannister, the two prisoners who were being held by Rob's army, are slaughtered by the Karstarks as revenge for Jamie Lannister's murder of Torrin Karstark and his subsequent escape and release to King's Landing. Um, Talisa, Edmure and Catelyn implore Rob to hold Lord Karstark as a prisoner, but he instead decides to execute him on orders of treason. And shortly after, the Karstark men leave Rob's cause and return home, which leaves Rob with half an army and limited options. He can't press on without the Karstark men, but he can't afford to retreat to the north and lose ground either. So he comes up with a compromise, and he decides that the best plan, if he wants to chase the Lannister army and force them to give up Casterly Rock, he's going to acquire men from somebody we met in season one. Yeah. Catelyn's old family friend, David Bradley, Walder Frey. Um, so, mm. yeah, a lot of stuff at River Run this week that's all very grim and desperate. You start with children being murdered and go down from there. So, um, I do find it quite, there is a little bit of a joke in there where there's the guy who says, please, I, w I was only standing guard, I was only watching, and then Rob goes, this one only watched, hang him last so he can watch all the others die first, and it's like, oh, that's really funny, but, oh, bit dark, Rob. Um, very grim and very desperate, um, I've noticed during this episode that Talisa is a little step further in understanding the trolley problem that Rob is faced with. Mm. where yeah. she's sort of saying that you need to get this war won in order to have a better future for all of us. And so she's gone a long way from last season, all war is terrible, why are you, in, why are you doing this? And now she's very much part of the cause. That's, that's development for you. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely development. Um, although, was that intentional? Intentional how? As in, was she intended to, you know, go from being very anti-war, anti, um, you know, anti all of this pain and strife, to being very much faithful to the Stark cause and very much on the side of, you know, this war has to be done and it has to be won by us, the good guys. It, the intentions of who? Do you mean like the writers have written her to be this yeah, way? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was definitely the idea where um, okay. she obviously they're slowly falling in love. Mm. And so they're now very much part of, she is very much part of his cause and fighting for his cause. Um, I want to ask um, mm. what you make of Rob's decision. Do you think it's a good decision? Do you think it's a bad decision to behead Lord Karstark? Well, it's the um, the theme of revenge from last week, and it mm. you know, continues into this, both explicitly and implicitly. You know, Lord Karstark cites his reason for killing the Lannister boys as revenge, but Rob's decision to behead him rather than hold him prisoner throws that idea straight back at him. And it might backfire on him eventually if, you know, the army abandons him, which... Um, had the Karstark army abandoned Rob in this episode, or is it just implied? They've gone. Okay. Yeah, no, they've gone. Um, they've taken all their men. They're like, well, sod you then. And they've all... Rob is now without an army. Well, half his army. He's got all of his Stark men, but he's not got any of his uh, Karstark men. Um, it's one of, yeah, you kind of... You win some, you lose some. And in Rob's position at the minute, you know, his main detractor within the camp is dead. 
but you know half the army's gone and now he's having to resort to asking for help from someone who I doubt will be best pleased to find out that he's married. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because that was the oath, wasn't it? In um, yeah, it was, yeah, season yeah, one. Was... Yes. Yeah, that was yeah. the the promise. I, th- I don't know. I wonder how pleased he'll be that I is missing as well because I uh, was supposed to marry someone as well, <laughs> and she's on yeah. the road. Mm. But um, yeah, not a not a great week for Rob. I did notice um, that when Rob was beheading Lord Carstark. The, the music, the, it was similar music to Theon when he was beheading Sir Roderick. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. a... And it's... Um, I'm not sure why that... Um, I'd love to know why Rami Javadi chose that theme because that's like... Because the, there's the Theon theme, which is like the... Um, which is the... Dun, dun. You get it in a nice nice major key where it's like... Dun, 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 dun. But then you get one in a bit of a minor discordant key when he's beheading Sir Roderick and hanging up those burnt bodies where you get the... Um, the <laughs> and I think they were playing a slight variation of that while Rob was beheading Lord Carstar. Yeah, and it was, it was also raining as well. It um, was, yes. I can't remember if in the last one was it Garden of Bones that episode. Uh, it was the Old Gods and the New season two episode six. And so Arya would have been at Harrenhal, right? Yeah. And I think um, they, because after this scene, they kind of caught him to her, you know, laying down and sort of reciting the names, which I'm fairly sure she did in that episode as well. But yeah. it might have been one before that. Or at least, yeah, it's all, but it is all, yeah, hitting very similar beats. Even yeah. if even if they're not exact to your memory, which I'm I'm not sure myself either. But yeah, no, that's yeah exactly great little um great little bit of uh, bit of a callback to season yeah. two. Yeah, well at least the uh, the head claim came off cleanly this time. <laughs> yeah, Rob knows how to handle a sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think the honourable Ned Stark wanted to hear my side? The moment he set eyes on me, by what right does the boss judge the lion? By what right? The king's there! Jamie. My name's Jamie. Uh, Jamie and Brienne are led to Harren Hall, where they are placed in front of Roose Bolton by Locke. And after Jamie discovers that Cersei is still alive, he is then introduced to Kyburn, who was rescued by Rob and Talisa earlier in the season. And Kyburn begins to treat Jamie's wound. Uh, later, Brienne is bathing when Jamie invites himself into the hot baths with her, and he starts to explain the true story of how Robert's rebellion ended and how he became known as the Kingslayer. And he explains that the Mad King Aerys Targaryen was ordering his men to burn the entirety of King's Landing to the ground, and Jamie explains that he broke his oath to save the city and all the people in it. And after he explains himself, he tries to stand, but he falls due to weakness and, you know, not having a hand. And Brienne calls for help and says, help, help, the Kingslayer, to which Jamie responds that his name is, is Jamie, and that's how he'd like to be referred to from now on. Um, big emotional scene. This is one of those moments in the show where fans look back on this and they just think like wow this all really comes together um it's Mm. one of those where a monologue can feel just as devastating as a murder or you know it can feel just as big as a battle and just as important and it just opens up so many avenues for questioning um i guess this was the moment where you maybe felt differently about a character this week you said at the start that you felt differently about one particular character this week yeah, this was it. I mean, who who else could it have been? It's this huge revelation that just changes the entire landscape of the show that you never would have really guessed. You've always had this idea that Jamie is this sly, cunning, um, you know, underhanded backstabber, and you actually, but then here you get the reason why he did what he did. Hmm. And as, you know, as Brienne rightly asks, you know, if that is the case, why didn't you tell anybody? But you understand where he's coming from. It's like, well, he he had his own formed opinion already 
what would that change? Yeah, and it's it casts Ned Stark in a slightly different light. Because hmm. he it refers does. to him as the Honourable Ned Stark. And everybody's going to believe the Honourable Ned Stark over this backstabber who broke his oath to the king. Yeah. And, I mean, we knew little bits and pieces because from season one, um, Robert Baratheon says, what did the Mad King say when you shoved your sword through his back or something? And Jamie says he said the same thing he'd been saying for hours. Burn them all. Mm. And, yeah, it's just, it is an amazing moment. It's brilliant delivery from Nikolai Costa-Waldu. Um, I love the contrast as well between this kind of cool, like, well, it's hot water, but it's like this serene, very still water, and then Jamie's body rising out of it is all dirty and cut and muddy, and mm. I love the the way that, like, whenever you're watching him, it's like, oh, someone get a sponge on him, someone start cleaning him, and <laughs> meanwhile, he's kind of cleaning himself of this story that he's held on to for ages, and I think it shows emotionally where he is at the moment and where he is with Brienne, and that he can say such things, and I just, yeah, it's an amazing scene. It doesn't like, it doesn't get me going in the same way that Daenerys stealing of the Unsullied did last week or anything like mm. that. And but it gets me going in a different way, and it's not one to get your blood racing, but it is one to really get you thinking about your perceptions of Jamie up to this point and how you feel about how he's been and how he's behaved and what was all of that? Was that real? Was all of it, you know, like pushing Bran out the window and killing that guy to get out of the cell and all of the sly comments he makes? Is it, you know, you start thinking like, was this all an act? Was it all a front? Like, what was this? Who, who, like, it makes you think like, who was this person who that we've just watched for 20 odd episodes? Like, who is he? Yeah. Do we know what his deal is and like all of this? And yeah, it just it rips open, like I say, it rips open dozens of lines of questioning. It's mm. a great scene yeah. with a great performance. It's really, really beautiful monologue and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a big show favourite for that reason. Yeah, and you know, coupled with that, it's like why why reveal this now? But is it just that he's at a point where, you know, he's been shoved through the mud and he's been forced to drink horse piss and separated from his family for what what must be years now and you know he's just sat there with his his stump kind of sticking out the bath because he could presumably can't get the bandages wet yeah and it's like i've got nothing left to lose so i may as well say this to somebody that okay i might not particularly like but hmm. at least i know she'll listen yeah, she's kind of like a life raft for him in this situation. Mm. And, well, the way the scene ends is kind of how it is at the moment. She's kind of carrying him through these couple of episodes, trying to keep him going. Yeah, yeah, because as, as she's pointed out before, it's like if he dies, then so does she. Yes, that is the end of Kiss by Fire, which mm-hmm. is... It is. It's a great episode. I think that apart from like maybe one more episode, possibly two, like many people consider this to be like Brian Cogman's like magnum opus for Game of Thrones. It's a really beautifully written character focused episode of the show. It's the Mm. perfect point to do some big reveals, but have them be more emotionally focused and plot focused. Um, I think it lags a little bit during the middle, like when we're getting to know Stannis' family, I think, but that's all that really works against it. Like this episode is a part of a run really now for Game of Thrones where it's very much hit its stride and even in the weaker episodes I feel like it's confident to just slow down and in to just to just very much be itself I feel like it's really found its identity um this season and not that it ever struggled to find its identity before but I feel like it's really solid now and everybody there is totally fully confident in what they're doing um, you can trust the show. You know what it's gonna. You don't know what it's gonna do next, but you know that the next decision will be an entertaining one. And uh, yeah, it's not. I don't love it as much as some people. You'll find some people who think that this is the. It's not the consensus favorite in the fan base, but a lot of you know some people do have this down as their absolute favorite episode. 
Wow, really? Um, yeah, really. Um, it's, it's kind of rare. Like, you know, you'll get like the same five or six episodes that get referred to as people's favorites over and over. And then Kiss by Fire is like the sixth. If you were going to go on like uh, Family Fight or Family Fortunes or whatever it's called. And like you would, mm. you know, we surveyed 100 people and they said that their favorite episode of Game of Thrones was this. And Kiss by Fire would have like three votes or four votes or something like that. I was not expecting a Family Fortunes reference in this episode. Uh, no, neither was Where I. Where did that come from? Um, God, imagine the Lannisters on Family Fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> but Dad, I think Show it's me this who you're going to marry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I want your loser this week. Who's your loser? My loser of the week is Lord Karstark. Okay. I think yeah, he he deserved to be killed. You can't you can't just kill two innocent children and expect just for everything to be fine. It's unforgivable. Yeah, I think in the laws of this universe, execution is a fair enough punishment. For yeah, what he did. agreed. And your winner, who's your winner this week? Can't believe I'm saying this, but my winner of the week is Jamie, Jamie Lannister. Jamie Lannister. <laughs> I, I never thought I would see the day. Awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I know. And it's really funny because this is something um, where if you come across people who are watching the first two seasons of Game of Thrones, they're all like, oh, I can't stand Jamie Lannister. And then when you've mm. seen up to this point in the show and you're like, oh, just wait, <laughs> just you wait. And so it's been really funny throughout the first two seasons, you saying things like, oh, I hate Jamie. Oh, Jamie's really annoying. Oh, Jamie's this. Oh, Jamie's that. Which we all go through because we've all gone through exactly the same journey with Jamie and then we get to this point and it's like have I been wrong about you the whole time like it makes you feel this is the kind of show it is it makes you feel sympathy for someone who pushed a 10 year old out of a window and tried to kill him like, yeah, it, it, it might not be that it's a black and white case of I've been right if I've been wrong about him all this time it could just be you know he's still quite an awful person but he's capable of good yeah there are more layers to him than we maybe initially thought yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, right, so we're at the end of this episode now. Um, the next episode that will go out in our usual program is uh, Season 3, Episode 6, which is called The Climb. Uh, but before that, in a couple of days' time, we are going to have our interview with Miltosh Yerolemu, the first part of it, going out live. Um, we're, I'm just, we've been holding on to it for ages. I'm really looking forward to finally broadcasting it. The second part of the interview will be out at the end of the season. But for now, part one will be out in a couple of days' time. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes as well to both parts of my chat with uh, We Love Game of Thrones, which is a uh, Game of Thrones blog site, and I'll leave a link to their Twitter as well. Um, So as I said, we'll be back for next week, which is uh, entitled The Climb, uh, Season 3, Episode 6. And yeah, we'll just see you then. See ya. See ya.